fit for life. Your biblical pathway to success. Make this year your best year by studying to show yourself approved. Join us in our new Fit for Life classes to follow your biblical pathway to success. This is a class for everyone, whether you are a new believer or a mature believer. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. in the Fit for Life class. Good morning and welcome to Fit for Life. And we've kind of renamed this and rebranded it. It is now Biblical Pathway. Our Fit for Life presents Biblical Pathway. And I was trying to think of good examples uh, to share about why we would need to have a different pathway uh, now that we're saved. And it's kind of like, and I have a male and a female example. I'll go with the female first. If you meet somebody and you fall in love and you ask them to marry you, and she says yes, and she marries you, it's not a one-time deal. Normally in a, a relationship, you have to learn what she likes, what she doesn't like. Um, quite often when I do counseling for marriage couples, I discover that the man feels that when he works hard and provides for her, that that's showing her he loves her. And he's totally confused with the fact that she feels abandoned and emotionally not met. And same thing with a man. Um, when he gets married, he has certain expectations, and he's shocked that this woman isn't acting like his mother. And he has to learn that uh, his mother is his mother, and his wife is his wife, and uh, he needs to be married to his wife, not his mother. And so there's a pathway of understanding the relationship. Now, for the guys that are listening to this later on, you buy a car. It's a great car. Not only does the... Um, User's guide tell you everything to do with it and so forth. It has you know, all kinds of buttons, and you love that car. But if you don't change the oil, buy new tires, and every once in a while run it through a car wash, it's not going to last. So there's two examples in the physical of why we would have to learn about salvation and God and why we would want to have a biblical pathway. When the scripture says, work out your salvation, that's always a tricky verse for most Baptists because they believe once saved, always saved. But what they're really saying there is, yeah, you're saved. But in order to get the blessings that God provides for us, in order to show him how much we love him, there's a pathway of things we need to do. The first month of this year, 2024, we're talking about um, getting all the goodies that come with salvation. And my topic is about words. And I found it interesting that uh, there was a, a, I think it actually is in one of Pastor's books, Seven Barriers to Healing. And it talks about these different things that block a healing coming into your body. But as I was studying for this class and I looked at it, it's like, hmm, this works for words too. First one is ignorance. Our words have power. All of you listening to this and here this morning, you know that. We know that we were created in God's image. When we speak, uh, it creates and our ignorance causes us to say things like, oh, my kids are driving me crazy. Oh, that just tickled me to death. <laughs> um, there's sprinkled curses in our language that we ignorantly speak continuously. When you're unaware of them, they just kind of fall out. And then you kind of become semi-aware of them and you catch yourself. But when you're really aware of them, you catch everybody else saying them and it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. By the way, I've, I've you know I love sound and everything related to it, and I discovered an actual scientific experiment that was done about sound and why fingernails on a cross uh, chalkboard cause us to go, ooh, 
Um, I'll get to that later, but I think it's fun. See, I collect um, data, scientific and biblical, about sound. So anytime I discover something that has to do with sound, then I kind of tuck it away in my arsenal. So I'm hoping that some of you this morning will be tucking these little tidbits in your arsenal. Uh, you may know them, but do you really practice them? So that's my prayer. Number two is unbelief. A lot of believers <laughs> have unbelief in the actual power of their words. They believe in Jesus. They know he was around. They understand God. They understand the Holy Spirit, but they do not understand their words. And the other thing that's attached to that is our thoughts. How many of you remember when Pastor Larry was talking about the uh, fire that was always burning in the temple and that there was a coal there, there and that the tongs that were used to pick up the coal to put into the fire was actually in, in rabbinical teaching our thoughts. Now, we know because our thinking produces chemicals, we know that our thoughts have to be taken captive and cast down. But to have the actual biblical teaching that our thoughts also create, well, that scared me. I've been, you know, watching my words for a long time, but my thought life, that's where I've always said, the battle for me is in my mind. And to realize that my thoughts actually do have creative power I had to clean up my act on that. Now, I'm confessing. I haven't finished. I haven't finished, but I'm working on it. And it's kind of like fingernails on the chalkboard for me. When all of a sudden I start a conversation with, well, I could have said this. Why did they say that? Then I stop myself and realize, okay, those are the tongs that keep my fire alive. So get out of my mind. I have learned that when something really weird enters my thought life, that I praise God out loud, because I know that weirdness isn't me, it's, it's demonic, and so I praise God out loud and just kind of walk through my house or the store or whatever and praise him so that that thought will leave my mind. So that's kind of a, a click for you. If something just keeps rattling around or whatever, ex-husbands always seem to show up at inopportune times. Okay, the other thing is um, unconfessed sin. Now, our words with unconfessed sin, it's like sometimes we hang on to something. It's not a big thing. I mean, it's not murder. It's not adultery. It's just a little thing. See, I grew up in a good Baptist church where we had visiting missionaries. And all the women, because um, I was always looking for a woman for a role model, they were always no makeup, no hairstyle, dressed in shades of brown <laughs> when it wasn't popular. And I kept looking at them like, okay, this is not a life I want. Now, I had given God my life, but I just kept that little tiny piece all, my, all myself. Cause like, do not send me to Africa. Do not send me to Africa. And I didn't realize that that thought and that hanging on to that place was actually a sin because it was something that I was hanging on to. It didn't hit me until after I was married. Now, Esther McLean was an absolutely wonderful woman in our church. Her whole house was pink and white, um, back when pink and white were popular. She uh, always had her hair done. She always had jewelry. She always had makeup. She had great clothes. She had five girls. They all dressed alike. I mean, it was just one of those families. Um, Barney was a um, manufacturer, and he did trade with um, Japan. And so when Barney sold his business and retired, they decided they were going to be missionaries to Japan. Well, by this time, I was no longer attending church, but my heart broke. I mean, I'm envisioning Esther with her jewelry and her hair coming back with roots that have grown out, no style, no clothes, and looking emaciated. 
and it broke my heart. So when I heard that they were coming back from the mission field, I just hot-footed it to church because I wanted to see how bad poor Esther McLean had turned out. Well, I walked in, and there was Esther. She had a pretty snazzy outfit on, and it fit her better than some of the clothes that she had worn before. And she had some new pearls around her neck, on her ears, on her hand, on her wrists. And I'm looking at them, and it's like, those aren't from Woolworths. And so I waited until they shared what they had been doing, and then I went up to Esther, and it's like, you look amazing. And she said, well, thank you. And I said, well, how was it in Japan? Because I had a visualization of what she had to go through. And she said, oh, Nancy, we had a whole bunch of connections in Japan. We lived in a house that was provided for us, and um, we had a gardener. Of course, I had a chef as well. I'm thinking, huh? And I had a seamstress as well as a, a personal attendant. Um, I called her a personal attendant rather than a servant or a maid. Um, but, and she's going through this whole list of all these people that were in this house in Japan taking care of them. And I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't, this doesn't jive with any of the things that I have ever heard <laughs> about missionaries. And so I said to her, I was so worried that she would come back looking, well, plain. And Esther kind of tilted her head, and she said, why? And I said, well, we always have missionaries that kind of look plain. And Esther looked at me, and being a discerning woman of prayer, she said to me, Nancy, I like fancy things, and I like formality. God would never send me to a place that didn't match how he built me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. All of a sudden, it was like, ah, oh, God knew what he built here. He, he knew it was kind of a foo-foo. He knew that I didn't like outdoors. He knew that I didn't like camping. God knew all that. So he would never ask me to go someplace that was totally against what he had hand-packed inside of me. Now, I'm a firm believer that there are things inside of us that we don't know we have yet. And I'll just real quick share a personal story. When Don was diagnosed and we knew that he was gonna need some care, uh, not in a hospital or in a care facility, but at home, um, my daughter knows that I nurtured her, but she also knows that I'm not a natural nurturer. Now I like people and I love to coach people, but coaching is different from nurturing. And I nurtured my daughter because I knew what nurturing felt like when I was growing up, and I wanted her to have that experience. But the rest of the world, not so much. So my daughter said, oh, Papa, you're in trouble. Mama's going to be taking care of you, and, you know, she doesn't have a nurturing gene. And so I stopped, and it's like, Lord, are you going to have to guide and direct me? Am I going to have to make decisions? And just in my spirit, it dropped. It's like, no, that gene's in there. It's just never been developed. Like, huh. So you knew this was all going to happen, and you put it in there for when the day came that I would need it. That's right. So all of a sudden, I became a nurturer. Now, I'm not going to go through all the things that I do for honey, but trust me, it doesn't angst my spirit. You know how sometimes we do things, and it's like, okay, I check that off my list. Thank goodness that's done. I get kind of excited to get up in the morning and grind up his first round of pills and so forth and, and put it in the little container, getting ready to put water in it. And when I see everything all lined out, the bottles that he's going to be fed, all the containers for the food, the syringe that's going to go into his stomach, <laughs> and then all the things, it brings me joy. And I laugh because joy used to be a clean counter. Walking in a kitchen where everything is put away and everything is in order. And now my kitchen's kind of messy, but it gives me joy. 
there are things inside of us that we have not tapped into yet. I mean, I'm at a stage in life where you're thinking, sheesh, she didn't know she had nurture in her. No, I didn't. But there are things inside of all of us that will come out when it's necessary. If we just are open and realize, number one, it's there. Um, unforgiveness, attitudes of unforgiveness. This brings the example that I love to use about um, corporate America. <laughs> when, I, when I was in the banking industry, um, there was a uh, um, pulp, pulp mill. And I don't know if any of you have ever been around a pulp mill. It kind of smells worse than uh, a stockyard. I mean, it's really ugly. And so when you would drive from Portland to Salem, this wafting aroma would come across the freeway of this gagging smell from the pulp mill. And everybody that grew up in, in Salem, Eugene area, they knew that. Well, there was a new company that was started, Teledai Wachang. And they did some electrical things. And there was a new clerk that happened to be hired in the office uh, of the local government there. So when people would call and complain, the first call she got, it was like, you know, there's a horrible aroma here. Oh, have you smelt it before? No, I've never smelt it before. They'd never driven down the freeway before, but she didn't bother to ask that question. They didn't bother to share it. And so she's looking around, well, what new companies have, have opened? Oh, Teledai Wache, it must be that. So the clerk filed that complaint in their file. So every time someone would call and complain about the smell on the freeway, she continued putting the complaints in the Teledai Wachang file. Now, eventually it got so big that it came to the attention of the local government officials, and they went to call on the company. They had a whole list of things they wanted changed, things that they wanted redone, and the company is looking at them like, what are you talking about? There's no emission from what we do here. And when I was, and the reason I know these things is because we banked Teledai Wachang. So they were the company that we called on. And they're telling this story, and I'm thinking, how can that happen? And I'm going back in my mind, because my mind always goes back to figure out the original and how I could share it as a teachable moment. And it's like, sir, have you hired anybody recently? What, what do you mean? Have, well, in your front, front office, any of your clerks new? Yeah, we had a, had a new clerk. When, when did these complaints start coming in? And the correlation was obvious. When the new clerk was hired, the complaints started coming in because she'd opened a file. She didn't know any different. She wasn't fired. She was just re-educated. Teledai Wachang was released from any of the requirements that the government had put together. And everybody went back to saying, yeah, that stink is from the pulp mill. We've known that forever. Why didn't somebody check with us? <laughs> well, some of you have a file open in your mind. And it's against a person. It's not even against. You just have a file open. And everything that they do or say, or you hear that they say or do, you interpret, shouldn't have happened. So you mind read to figure out you know why they did it. I often say I am, you know, 300 miles wide and an inch deep. And I say that because I seldom ask how something is going to happen or why or like somebody will say, you know, well, when are they coming in? I don't know. Well, well what did they say? They said they'd be here at 930. Well, are they bringing any? I don't know. I mean, I just, I go across the board because I don't want to ever open a file. I don't want to ever have anything come to me that I misinterpret because I have a file open. <laughs> so unforgiveness, a lot of times, is just about opening a file. So today we're going to do a data dump. So you can just shake your head and say, I'm getting rid of any files that I have been keeping and realize 
as a good Jewish man once said when I was asking a question about somebody, and he said, I don't know. It's like, what do you mean you don't know? You were there. You heard him say it. He said, they may have repented this morning. And that also hit me in the heart. It's like, oh, my gosh, okay. So I have to assume, I have to believe, I have to trust, I have to have faith that mankind is going to repent and that whatever I'm holding against somebody, they've repented for, so I better not hang on to it either because that's going to stop my blessings. So, and I'm not saying this stuff is easy. It wasn't easy for me either, but I share all this just so that you can kind of think about it. And when God brings it to your memory, that you can go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to let go of that. So unforgiveness, we usually think of the biggies. But for us in this room, if you got up early to come to this class, you're, you're not into the other stuff. You're into the minutia, the little things that, that trip everybody up. So if you've got a file open on anybody, get rid of it. The other thing is um, a cult. That stops healing. But occult beliefs or practices also stop our blessings. Now, you probably aren't calling the witch wizard in California to get your reading but I don't know where you stand, you know, on fortune cookies, all kinds of stuff. Um, as I've aged, things that used to be okay for me to do, God kind of says, not so much anymore. And it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter, although looser and looser and looser in my life. I can't even watch certain television programs that I used to watch. I was confessing to Don, it's like, okay, I can watch Andy Griffith's show, and I can watch I Love Lucy. But even my golden girls, they're getting uh, a little bit out there. And everybody loves Raymond. I used to just giggle at that. I was like, I can't do that anymore either. That mother just drives me nuts. <laughs> drives me nuts. There we go. I canceled that in the name of Jesus. So it's okay to let go of some things that used to be okay for you and realize that we've got to tighten things up. I... I I'm thankful that we're in a church where we're learning about our, our biblical roots and that we're learning that time is short. And because time is short, I don't want to miss that little whisper the Holy Spirit is going to make that says, turn here, not there. <laughs> so I'm trying to do everything I can in the natural to make sure that I've got a clear line of communication to make sure that I'm not looking at anything or letting anything get into my eye gate, my ear gate, that's going to plug up the, the process of me hearing the Holy Spirit. So although I don't do Ouija boards and all that kind of stuff, the occult is sometimes watching and doing things that are not good for us. You've got um, covenant with false gods. Now, again, growing up Baptist, I always pictured somebody with an altar in their backyard or in their living room that they you know, are lighting candles to and singing weird songs to. But that's not really how it works. The gods that often interpret and interrupt our lifeline with the Lord is something that we value more than him. Every once in a while, I have to go through my house and look at my furniture, my clothes, my jewelry, paintings on the wall, everything, and just say, no, you're not more important. I have to say it out loud and say, I dedicate all this to the Lord, and this is your house, Father, and if you take it, I will be happy with wherever you put me because you've never put me any place that I was not able to be happy and be joyful. I have to let go of things in the natural. I have to let go of my expectations for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. I have to just, okay, they're yours, Heavenly Father, and I'm praying a blessing over them, and I'm praying protection, but I'm letting go of them knowing that God loves them more than I do. You've heard me many times share stories of our first grandson, Connor, and how challenging it was for the family when he would make those creative decisions that landed him in jail. 
And that's where God taught me the lesson about letting go. Because he said to me, I love Connor more than you do. And it's like, can that really be? He was my first grandchild. I was there and helped take care of him. I was there when he was born. And it's like, well, do you trust me or not? Yeah, I do. Well, then I'm going to pull him out of this. And that was when I was able to step into the land of Connor is home free and living a good godly life. And I lived there until he came home and was free and was living a good godly life. I lived in there not adding up all of these pieces, but realizing that God was doing a work in him. And if God could be with him when he was in jail, if God could direct him to godly men who he prayed with, because he was scared, he was young, <laughs> then God would take care of him and bring him out a better person. So sometimes our false gods are our expectation of other people. So we need to let go of that. And then curses. We know about generational curses and sicknesses being in, love in uh, bloodlines, but we also know about blessings. So as we realize our words have weight, our words have power, our words create, then we also need to continue speaking blessings over ourselves, our spouses, if we have one, our children, grandchildren, and the people that are around us. Now, I do have a pecking order of how I pray those blessings. First one's on Dawn, next one's on my daughter and her, and her husband, then my grandchildren, and then I slip over to Pastor Larry, and I go through the staff, and then I go through the church. Because at this point in my life, I haven't been called to pray for the other people first and end up with, with honey, with Dawn. <laughs> But how you do it is how God leads you to do it, however you do it. But rather than bemoaning decisions that my family is making, I'm praying a blessing over them, knowing that God will get their feet on solid ground. You say, well, how do you know that? I should be dead. Now, I'm not going to talk about Yvonne's testimony. But every once in a while, when we're in the front row and pastor's talking about things and we realize what the punishment was in the Old Testament for some of the things that Yvonne and I have done in our testimony part of our life, <laughs> and we lean into each other and go, we should be dead if we were alive in those days. All of us have a past. Now, the great news is once we've confessed that sin and the blood of Jesus covers it, God no longer sees it. Every morning when I wake up and I walk to the back of the house and look at the trees and the sunrise, God sees me as his perfect child. Now, that's not who I am yet, but that's how he sees me. So I'm going to step in to blessings and speak things, thank him that every single day there's a new design to the sky. How does he do that? Every day it's different. Every single day. Every single night is a different sunset. That's a lot of creativity. Well, I show up and I thank him, first of all, for waking me up. And I have to confess, I'm not the, you know, Modea knee before my foot hits the floor. Sometimes I jump out of bed and I'm running to the bathroom before I say the Modea knee. But as soon as I can get myself together, then it's going to happen. And I'm in my kitchen looking out the door and I start by praising him and thanking him. And then I start by saying, hero Israel and the world. I've got three. Don't cry, Nancy. I've got three that I say. Hear, O Israel and the world, the Lord is my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's number one. Now, that's the amplified version, and I don't want to disrespect God and his word. So then I say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. He is one, because that's mainly what it says. But then the last one is usually when I tear up. Don't cry. You've got mascara. Don't cry. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is my God. He's number one. 
So I do those three statements in order. And by the time I get to my God, I'm usually in a spot where I can really talk to him. And I can really see, what, what do you want to say to me? What's my day going to be like? How's this all going to work? Well, I find it fascinating that the seven things that block healing are also seven secrets for how to watch our words. Just real quick, we'll go over them. Ignorance. We say things just out of ignorance. My kids are driving me crazy. Unbelief. We don't really understand the power of our words. So we speak in unbelief. Unconfessed sin. For us, that could be anything. I'll just leave it at that. Number four is unforgiveness. Who have we opened a file on? <laughs> Shake the file away. Number five, the occult. What is it that we're watching or listening to that might be interpreted as something that would not be holy? Number six, covenant with false gods. What are our goals? What are our expectations? What are we working towards? And is that really what God wants us to work towards? Because we can trust him. If he's calling us to something, it's going to be good. We're going to like it. Number seven is curses. We're going to be speaking blessings. I find it fascinating when they decided to rename the um, Fit for Life as Biblical Pathway, that they would come up with a series of things that we needed to understand and know as we move forward claiming our salvation. And for me to end up getting words, it's like, that's kind of like the jackpot for me. For Pastor Lydia to end up being able to teach on prayer, that's kind of like the jackpot for her too. And Yvonne, uh, last week, Yvonne taught on the reading the Bible. And that's something that she deeply believes in, something that in different seasons of her life, like myself, we didn't do it, and then we realized the power of it. And reading your Bible is kind of like when Pastor Troy talks about you have to have the word in there so that when a circumstance comes, it can come out. So I have started listening to the Bible. I've, I have a, a podcast that I follow, and I play that every single morning. I really like it because they pronounce all the names of the cities and the people. I mean, I've skipped over those forever. So all of a sudden now I can look at it and go, oh, that's how you say that. That's what it means. <laughs> so if you have a chance to have something on tape, Bible on tape, um, you know, listen to it so you can see how they really do pronounce those names. Where did they come up with those names anyway? It's like, holy cow. Um, anyway, um, so there are certain things that are going to be feeding your spirit and I find it fascinating that they assigned the teachers for those topics for people, and it was random. It wasn't like, yeah, let me be good on prayer. It was random. And so you're going to hear a number of different teachers, um, and some pastors and some lay pastors that will be teaching on topics. And just know that um, I know that our God is going to assign it to people who have deep conviction and understanding and life experience on how to make it work. Amen? So as we leave the room, watch your words. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you sensitive to what you say and what you think. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the revelation of how your speech is supposed to go. And then watch how he cleans up your act, so to speaking, spiritually, and brings you the blessings that Jesus paid a heavy price to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your throne room, and Lord, we are so thankful that you made a way for us to know you. Father, I don't, I don't even pretend to understand the Trinity or, or how all of this works, but I know you're real. And I know that the part of you that we call Jesus Christ, Yeshua, was the Word. And the Bible tells us the Word was with you from the beginning. The Word became live and, and dwelt among us. And so somehow that thread through all of you, the three of you, is permanent 
and is solid. But Father, I don't need to understand all of that in order to love you, serve you, accept you, and know that you are for me. I praise your holy name that you are giving us instructions about the power of our words. I praise your holy name that you're challenging us to read your word so that we can speak those Bible verses in order to agree with the things that we're believing for. Thank you, Father, for everyone who is here this morning and everyone that will be listening to this podcast later on. And thank you, Father, for putting us in a church that you have called and anointed for such a time as this. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.